the wind is in Marlowe's hair. The the tang of sea salt is everywhere. Uh, Marlowe has been at sea uh, on a on a, uh, a tall masted galleon for several weeks, crossing one of this world's many huge oceans. This would be uh, this would be a, a lovely, uh, peaceful, fresh uh, atmosphere, except for the fact that coming up on the uh, on the port side of the ship is a smaller, faster, much better armed pirate ship flying the Jolly Roger. Marlow has a, still some vague awareness that this world is not all that there is. Right. Marlow has had this all her life. She has lived her in, an entire life in this world. She has memories of having been born here, grown up here. She knows that she knows the names of the great oceans. She knows the names of the land masses. Mm-hmm. She knows that piracy is a danger on these high seas. Uh, but she has sometimes in her dreams strange flashes of memories of living in another place and an awareness that this is not all that there is. Mm-hmm. In this life, why do you think Marlowe's on this ship? I uh, think that um, Marlowe is actually probably a, a young man in her late twenties um, who is a low low level midshipman on this on this on this vessel, going on some kind of pre predefined um, voyage that she he they probably doesn't know the details of. Because that's not your job to know. Just the staff. Just, Transporting yeah. something, maybe? Yeah, and so they probably have cargo, even if they're going for some other purpose, but probably, yeah, transporting some kind of cargo across the ocean, which makes them um, desirable pickings for pirates, something that the crew are always, you know, slightly afeard of, but maybe haven't encountered before. In a, like, they're always kind of nervous about the possibility of pirates because usually they, you know... They're, they're there to loot the ship and not and maybe even take the ship or sink the ship and then you don't there are no survivors the great low boom of a cannon sounds this may be a sound that Marlow hasn't mm-hmm. heard before but uh, has has imagined uh, in fearful nightmares uh, as a, a cannonball fires across the bow of the ship and uh, standing in the crow's nest of the the pirate ship is a figure in a tricorn hat. Uh, wielding a, a big wooden uh, speaking cone who uh, shouts to the assembled sailors on the deck, that, that will be your last warning! There's probably some kind of alarm sounding, that it will be a bell ringing, I would expect, and uh, the captain or the like first mate are calling everyone to, you know, giving us the, the our orders for what we need to do. And it's probably, if we have any kind of weapons to run those... I, I, I'm imagining this ship does have, a, you know, three or four mid-sized cannons. Sure. So um, the people, including Marlowe, who are qualified to use those are kind of heading below decks to go and start operating those as best they can and fire from the port side to the pirate ship. So Marlowe's headed down to try and start making some, you know, making some defensive manoeuvres with her, the rest of her crew. Great. There is panic below decks. Uh, some people aren't qualified that mm-hmm. you're carrying passengers, and they are in a complete flap. Uh, but uh, Marlow, trained as he is, uh, as they are, mm-hmm. uh, gets the uh, the cannon that is their responsibility run out of the uh, yeah. of the gun port, and 
um, powder monkey comes running along with some gunpowder, load it into the into the into the part of the cannon where you have to load it in and try and get a match lit to fire it off. Um, checking, of course, first that the ship is kind of roughly in the right position, positioning the cannon, and then just lighting it and hoping for the best. All right, roll extraordinary. See if you do something heroic. Four. It's an equalize. Uh, the fuse lights. <laughs> the ball flies. But uh, goes uh, it clips the gunwale of the mm-hmm. pirate ship and wide. skims across the deck, but go, goes wide and fails to do any damage. The pirate ship draws up alongside, and uh, you can hear the thunk of grappling hooks uh, thudding into the wood of your ship oh, as pirates begin to board. I think we'll try another cannon, because if the ship is closer, then it's worth it to try and put a hole in them to start them sinking. So I think quickly try and get that lit again. And then my pl- the plan would be to leave the powder monkey lighting the cannons and go up onto the deck because I know that they're going to need all hands for fighting off anybody that's landing on the ship. All right, roll extraordinary to see if you can get the cannon to Come fire on, before, than a before, before you're flooded with pirates. Ten. Ten, yes! <laughs> uh, the... Um, Just as you hear the sound of uh, booted feet and peg legs on the the gangway down to the gun deck, you manage to get the fuse lit, the cannon slams back in its uh, its stocks, and you can see through the gun port that it's put a massive hole right at the waterline of the pirate ship alongside, and it begins taking on water. But now there are pirates coming down the gangplank, blocking your way back up onto onto the top deck. Uh, you can stand and face them, or uh, there is a way off this deck to where the cargo is stored. I think I am going to head down towards where the cargo is, because I am going to take a look and see if I can find something down there that's going to be useful, or at least something that we maybe don't want to get into the hands of the pirates that I can maybe potentially like throw overboard. What does Marlow find among the cargo that acts as a way out of this world. What strange artefact is this ship transporting that uh, calls to Marlow and awakes that awareness that they've had all their life in this place, that this is not all there is? As Marlow is opening up the... She's kind of... He's kind of opening up crates, trying to see if there's anything useful. He opens up a crate and there are just a whole load of really strange looking um, metal objects that kind of look like the muskets he's familiar with, but are, um, when he picks one up, lighter and have these kinds of straps to go across the body. And essentially they are really like they are modern day semi-automatic weapons. So Marlo straps one on. Yeah. One or two. Uh, one and a sidearm. Nice. Yeah. And what is, what is Marlowe's plan with these artefacts? Pretty sure that they're going to <laughs> destroy... Marlowe's pretty confident that he knows exactly what he can do with these, and that is kill far more pirates than it is, like, than, than a normal weapon is can usually do. I feel like the term should probably be roll badass. Yeah. <laughs> roll massacre. Roll <laughs> semi-automatic weapon massacre. Oh god. Okay. Six. I mean that'll do because I've only got four to beat here. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, you are pretty good at being badass at the moment. Yeah. 
the pirates fall in waves. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and into the waves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, until uh, it's sort of a blur and it ends with Marlo on the deck with the... <laughs> <laughs> Screaming, is he Kaye? Spent shells Marlo everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, facing the pirate captain yeah. uh, with one bullet left in the sidearm. Yeah. Uh, and the pirate captain has a has a flintlock pistol, and they face each other across the deck. Drop your weapon and surrender to our captain. I have nothing left to lose now. You've killed me, crew. <laughs> I might as well go f- go down fighting. Uh, and the pirate captain draws and uh, and fires at Marlow. What mm-hmm. does Marlow do? Uh, Marlow tries to shoot um, his round as quickly as possible. So there's kind of yeah, two two bullets flying across the deck at each other. Roll extraordinary. That's a stonking one. <laughs> In a strange moment of deja vu, the lead ball from the flintlock pistol slams into Marlow's temple. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was going to happen eventually, wasn't it? <laughs> His body falls, but he feels himself still still standing on the deck as mist creeps in from the edges of his vision. Nia. Hi. Nia is in high school. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Nia, Nia knows some things about the world that not everybody does. First of all, she has a strange awareness in the back of her mind that she's lived another life and that this is not all there is and that this this there are things beyond this world. But beyond that, she also uh, knows, because uh, this applies to several of her uh, circle of friends, that vampires, werewolves, ghosts, banshees, etc., are real. Sure. Living in secret. You, uh, Nia is a is a human uh, with no particularly special uh, monstery or magical heritage, but hangs out with has has fallen in somehow with a group of teen monsters. <laughs> what do you what what does Nia do with her time at high school? Do they solve monster crimes? Do they what? Are, they, are you trying to seal the hellmouth? Let's not step on Buffy's territory too much. <laughs> as long as we don't go more to than, Twilight, yeah. then I'm happy. Let's not step yeah, on the ter- say, I'm not dating a hot vampire. Yeah, let's not step on the territory more than I already have. Yeah. But what's life like? So, uh, basically, I want to know as much as possible about all the other species that are in our world that aren't human. Uh, so, I think that's pro- probably the driving force for me having become friends with such a, a mixed group of, of individuals. Uh, and, Representation! <laughs> yeah, holler. And we have, we spend a lot of our out-of-school time uh, kind of just patrolling the neighbourhood, keeping an eye on things, and, um, like stopping any uh bad behavior from any of those any of those groups so we're i'm pretty clued up with with um fighting any kind of species you're trying to keep the secret yeah kind of thing yeah like start stop bad elements drawing too much attention to like the fantasy urban fantasy underground yeah exactly i'm the gatekeeper if you will <laughs> <laughs> nice good title i like that thanks tell us about one of these patrols that goes wrong Okay, so we are uh, at the local park, 
because we're teenagers. Uh, and that's obviously where a lot of stuff goes down. Doing a sort of perimeter patrol, sort of casual, you know, chatting about the latest popular beat combo at the same time. And um, there's a rustling in the bushes. And that's not totally unusual. That's something we uh, tackle on the reg. And it might be some uh, some minor drug use or it might be a murder. Who knows? Uh, so me and my mate, the werewolf, which is called Maria, we go to, to take a little look, check it out. Uh, and just as we approach the bush, um, out springs a, a young, fully transformed werewolf. Uh, and it's not the right time of the month for that to be occurring. So um, we were not expecting it, not prepared. And unfortunately, one of our, one of another in the group uh, gets slashed by this werewolf across the face. <gasps> no. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that you notice about this, uh, this werewolf attacker is that they, as well as all the, the tatters of their clothes from when they've transformed, they're also wearing a, a messenger bag. Yeah, <laughs> um, and uh, you can see as the sort of as things go into slow motion, as you see your friend get uh, slashed by this uh, by this werewolf, um, you see the flap of the bag f- swing up, and you see um, a thick uh, leather bound tome or grimoire in there. Yeah, that uh, you would be aware with this kind of knowledge is probably bad news. Yeah, I'm gonna try and rip that werewolf off of my mate. Stop. Stop slashing at the faces, please. Does Nia have any specialised uh, equipment for going out on these patrols to compensate for the fact that she's just a normal human? Yeah, so uh, I've got a nice silver letter opener that I can I can use against werewolves. <laughs> uh, I've got um, a wooden stake, obviously, for the vamps, some holy water. Um, I've got a little book of um, some Latin incantations that can be useful for if you encounter any, like, demons. Uh, and I've got some salt, uh, and I've got um, an iron crowbar also. All right, which are you using for tackling this werewolf? Uh, I'm 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 whipping out the silver letter opener, and I keep it in a little uh, like a little holster around my ankle. Nice. Um, so I've just gone straight for like a like I'm jumping on the werewolf's back um, and holding on with one arm sort of round the neck of the werewolf and then the other hand has gone straight down to the ankle to whip out the, the letter opener nice roll extraordinary four boo the, uh, the werewolf bucks you off yeah uh, the letter opener flies out of your hand. Uh, you hit the ground hard and feel oh. winded. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> um, and now uh, this werewolf is is wrestling with uh, your friend Maria, the other no. werewolf. Uh, as uh, who who got who got gored? Uh, it was Tony the vampire. Tony. No, Tony. <laughs> oh, not Tony. He's my babe. Ironically, he's pretty uh, pathetic. He's like a little. A uh, little weakling of a person, uh, and you'd never think he was a vampire. <laughs> uh, so it's just typical that Tony's been clawed in the face. So you you find yourself on the on the floor uh, in the in the grass of the park next to Tony. Uh, you're sort of winded and gasping. Yeah. He is clutching his yeah. face uh, as blood streams through his fingers. Uh, Maria and this unknown werewolf with the tattered clothes and the messenger bag are wrestling. Uh, the the messenger bag werewolf seems to have the upper hand. What does Nia do? Oh, man. I'm going to go back in, drag my winded self off the floor, tell Tony to put pressure on the wound, and uh, and and go back in with my, my silver letter opener. You grab the silver letter, letter opener from where it fell, point down into the grass, yeah. 
Uh, and roll extraordinary. Ten. Success. How do you take down this werewolf? So, I do one of those clever little flippy-uppy things from when you're lying on the floor to standing up. That's the technical term. Yep. Um, Grabbing my letter opener out of the ground as I go, and in a couple of leaps and bounds, I'm over there, and again, I am uh, leaping onto the back of the werewolf and driving the letter opener into their shoulder, because we don't aim to kill. Uh, And so what does it look like in this world when uh, silver meets a werewolf? So uh, there's like a hissing noise as it goes in, as the flesh around it is seared, it's burned, and the the hairs of the werewolf immediately start going back into the body, and it starts shrinking back into the shape of a of a human. Uh, and that human uh, sways and seems drained by this process, and flops to the ground, uh, still wreathed in the tatters of their yeah. of their clothes. Yeah. Uh, and seems to be unconscious and out for the count. Yep. So uh, I'm going to whip out the uh, the rope that I've got in my, <laughs> in my back pocket, tie them up, and I'm going to steal that grimoire, if you please. Okay. Uh, do you look at the grimoire here and now, or do you yeah. take it back to like the library? I'm gonna f- I'm gonna flick through it now just to sort of work out what, exactly what it is I'm looking at. Um, so Nia takes the grimoire. It's heavy. It's a uh, it's a Big old tome, sort yeah. of the size of your torso. Ooh. Um, flip it open to a random page, uh, and as Nia's eyes start to scan the scan the words, you feel a, f- a familiar feeling from your, using your book of Latin incantations. Uh-huh. You feel the shape of a spell forming in your mind, and you can't seem to stop reading. Oh no! Uh, and you feel the elements of the spell build and add uh, until it has a a tangible shape in your mind just waiting to be triggered and you feel like with that strange knowledge you've had in the back of your head all your life here that this is not all there is you know that this is the key to finding out what else so now that the spell's fully formed in my mind the urge to use it is is really powerful like the spell itself is intoxicating so without really it being a decision i just instinctively cast the spell in front of me and a sort of whirling fiery void opens up in the the middle of the park and it uh it sucks you through uh into a a white misty space two of you emerge simultaneously back into that strange geometrically odd hall of looms. Stupid crone. (laughs) (laughs) You emerge on on either sides, uh, on opposite sides of the the kind of the corridor between the two rows of looms and as you register that each other are are there, um, Nia, I don't know whether you recognise Marlo at this point, I don't know whether you recognise each other because Nia is younger and Marlo is a different gender now. Mm -hmm. Um, but what you do see is that the, the the tapestries on the looms behind each of you crumble to dust uh, as uh, threads seem to pull out and uh, undo a lot of the the connections uh, in those tapestries, and they they sag and crumble. So do we do we remember you, being here before? You now and remember, who we were. You remember each life that you have right. lived you remember being here before you yeah. remember what happened with clarity with yeah. clarity okay okay so 
Uh, but but you appear as you did in the most recent life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I feel like a, a tug of sort of familiarity when I look at this person, but I like like someone that you've met but you can't place. So I just say, who are you? Um, I'm Marlo. Where did you... Who, who are you? I'm Nia. Are you Marlo Marlo? What Wait. of being Marlo? What, from... Have you been here before? Last from time? last time? Yes. When the... Where's the old lady? Okay, good. It is you. This is so weird. This is so weird. You're a... You're like a teenager. Well, you were a teenager. What... You're a man now. Yeah, I like came from a. I was on a ship, and there was a pirate ship. And I was at high school. What is happening? Oh my god, um, Crone. Wait, how <laughs> how long is it? How long were you? Well, how long? Well, I'm you, I'm 15 now. No, but so I was there for 15 years. But were you actually there for 15 years? Because I'm know. I'm like 27, and I'm not sure I even know how to read and write. And um, I was there for like 27 years and we're then, back here at the same time. Oh wow. This is cool. Where's um, a, is that, is that, is this, is, is the old lady around here somewhere? I have you seen know. her? How no. long have you been here? I you just, just, just now. As you ask that question, you realise that she is standing maybe 30 feet away down the corridor between the looms. And seems sort of frozen like a rabbit in headlights, almost <laughs> like she was there and is now hoping that you won't notice her. I'm going to stride over to her, all sassy-like. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm a 15-year-old girl. I'm like, come on, Marlo, let's go and talk to this woman. Stop, stop, stop. I'll go, yeah, Marlo's going with her. You, oh, you are here to confront me, confronting me with my failure once again. Well, I don't... What, what are you doing? Why did you tapestry us what what is it about about your threads that that just will not sit with uh, sit in the the picture are you blaming your tools yeah can you send us back to the one that we originally came from maybe that's the problem like i don't think i'm supposed to be a 20 something year old man in like the 18th century on a ship you you wouldn't sit in that one Either the some threads are simply r- restless and and will not hold the shape they're given, Hang will on. not form part of the correct picture. Are you saying that near the police detective in the twenty first century was not the first iteration? The twenty first. What the? What is a police officer? Oh boy! Yeah. Okay. The further. This is the second time we have met in this form. I remember both my life when I was a 19-year-old art student and my life when I was a midshipman in, yeah. uh, in, in the 18th century. So I think it's just twice. We've just done this twice. Okay. Perhaps there is some affinity between your weaves. Perhaps you seek one another. Perhaps I was wrong to reweave you separately. I I panicked. I simply rewove you into the closest tapestries. Perhaps if you were woven together, perhaps then you would sit. Perhaps then you would form the picture. Where would where would we end up though? Yeah, I don't want you putting as little thought into it as you did last time. <laughs> the closest tapestry. 
Panic stitching. (laughs) You are right, of course. Your threads must fit the texture, the aesthetic, must fit the tapestry. Yes, I remember that once I took that kind of... We took that kind of pride in our work. Yes, I should... I should do that once more. Perhaps that is the way. So she wants to weave us in to one of these tapestries. And do we just let her? Well, I don't really see what the alternative is. Because no. there's nothing here, is there? No, let's just let, let her. So if you weave us into a new place, that might be it. We might stay there and, and we won't come back here again. I hope so. I well, let's make sure it's a not dro- somewhere rubbish. <laughs> well, we still look like this. No, we, when we went in last time, we changed how we looked based on the thing we'd been put into. Yeah. The, the essence of the thread remains the same. The context changes. The circumstances change, depending on the other threads your thread crosses, the picture you have been woven into, the overall picture that all those threads form. Can, can we pick? Can we tell from looking at the tapestries? The best result should be if your threads fit with the tapestry into which you are woven. The colours should match. The textures should match. The whole should be okay. perfect. Uh, you're some kind of tapestry sommelier, so can you recommend us a tapestry? If you will go willingly, yes. Okay. Okay, yeah, fine. Let's do it. I'm, I'm in. I thank you for making this easy. I hope that you can now rest. And the spindle and the shuttle appear in her hands. And the feeling is no less unsettling uh, for, having, for knowing that it's coming. Yeah. But uh, your, your threads begin to stream off you uh, in, in kind of less unsettling places. So it's not being unraveled from the fingertips down, from the middle out... Uh, she starts at the bottom, and you disappear at the bottom. slowly at the feet. <laughs> at the feet, <laughs> and uh, you sort of watch each other as as you slowly disappear and are woven around this spindle. And the two threads, uh, as they as they um, pour onto the shuttle, um, actually weave around one another, and. We had kind of a like a yarn style thread uh-huh. and quite a sort of um I think Marlowe's thread is less gossamerish this time. Oh no, no, because you died again. Yes. So, yeah, no, so you keep getting shot in the head. <laughs> yeah, this, the, the, so the the threads are not especially like aesthetically of a piece. Mm-hmm. But she she manages to find a, a tapestry that makes some play of that kind of contrast. So there are there are sections that are kind of raised in a in a wider gauge yarn and there are other sections that are more intricate with this kind of um slightly shimmery, gossamery sort of thread. And you you can see your threads being woven into this tapestry as the as the loom comes to life. Um, and you can start to feel uh new memories uh beginning to take shape in your head of this this new life that you've lived. And eventually, you're completely unwoven. The loom falls silent. The old woman goes about her work.
You've been listening to Merely Role Players. Ellie plays Nia, Vicky plays Marlowe, I'm Matt, your host, and we were playing All Out of Bubblegum, a role playing game by Jeffrey Grant and Michael Sullivan. Marlowe and Nia will return.